be ready. Would you pray with me, please? Mighty God, I come to you now as your servant, asking that the words that I speak today would not be mine, but they would be yours. Be with your people as they listen today, that you would come and have a seat with them, that you would remind each of us once again that it is in those moments of recognition that we make choices to love as you have loved us. Help us, oh God, to have the courage to put behind us bad theology and claim that love that is right in front of us. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit that I would do your will and not my own. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, so this week uh, I follow, I'm following the lectionary, um, and I'm, I just want, want you to know that I, I did it under protest <laughs> in my head uh, because um, this is taking a, a reading um, from a, what they call the Gospel of John, and you know how I feel about John, but I decided that it was a teaching moment. So I'll share it with you, and then we'll go from there. In the next day, John was back at his post with two disciples who were watching. He looked up, saw Jesus walking nearby, and said, Here he is, God's Passover lamb. And the two disciples heard him and went after Jesus. And Jesus looked over his shoulder and said to them, What are you after? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? To which he replied, Come along and see for yourself. They came and saw where Jesus was living and ended up staying with him for the day. It was late afternoon when this happened. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John's witness and followed Jesus. And the first thing he did after finding where Jesus lived was to find his own brother Simon telling him, We have found the Messiah. And he was immediately led to Jesus. Jesus took one look at him and said, You're John's son, Simon. From now on, your name is Cephas, or Peter, which means rock. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. When he got there, he ran across Philip and said, Come follow me. Philip's hometown was Bethesda, and the same as Andrew and Peter. Philip went and found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote of in the law, the one preached by the prophets. It's Jesus, Joseph's son, the one from Nazareth. To which Nathanael said, Nazareth, you've got to be kidding. All right, so the reason that I'm not excited about this whole reading is because it, it opens up a can of worms. Okay? And the can of worms in the church is called atonement theology. How many of you sitting here today understand what atonement theology is? Yeah, I know you do. Anybody else? Okay, yeah. Atonement theology means that Jesus was made for the sole purpose of being killed. That God 
made sure that Jesus was created solely to be killed as a sacrifice because you all are such bad sinners. And the only way that to get to God was to have this sacrifice. Folks, I'm telling you, as I sit here today, and probably making all traditional pastors mad as heck if they see this thing, that is really lousy, rotten, bad theology. And to hang on to it is part of what's killing the church. There would be no choice. Hallelujah. God gave you free will, so that means that there has to be choices. The reason that we've got this is because by the time John became a gospel, understand this, they were kind of backing into making Jesus God, amen, and this whole atonement theology era. So, why did I decide to go ahead and talk about it? Well, because it's a teaching moment, so I get to say that to you. And, and, and if you want to go look this kind of stuff up, you can. But the other part of it is there's a bunch of layers here in this particular story. Because the other thing that strikes me about it, if once you get past the, the Passover lamb stuff, is what? These people just dropped what they were doing. Did you, did you get that? Hey, there he is. Oh, yeah, let me follow him. And, you know, and right away they went and followed. And then, and then, and of course, leave it to Nathaniel, right? The one guy who I guess I can relate to, it's like, what? You found a hero? Fine. He comes from where? Really? You got to, yeah, seriously, you got to be kidding. Nothing comes good from Nazareth. Nothing. You know, I don't know what, uh, I, I, I don't know, I guess that's like here in Atlanta, nothing good comes from Alabama. I, you know, I, I, I don't know how people would, would read that. But it is interesting, how is it that this guy could cause people to just stop in their tracks and turn from whatever they were doing? You notice on the, the uh, uh, initially, Two of John's disciples, when they heard who Jesus was, they, they follow him and they follow him to his house. They, you know, he had a place that he was living apparently in the area, and they ended up staying all day. Have you ever done that? Have you ever met anybody? And uh, you know, it just it was I gotta tell you, when him and I met, that's the way it was. We met and we ended up spending the entire night, plus the entire morning until the bar closed, doing what? Talking and getting to know one another. So I think that there was something about this story that is for us, and that is that moment that you recognize who Jesus is. Not necessarily, oh, and by the way, the other thing I want to give you is if you read this story, I, I, I mean, when I initially, when you talk about him being the Passover lamb and John saying that, isn't that more prophetic? than it being atonement. In other words, look, dude, you know, if you follow this guy, this guy and what he's going to be teaching, they're going to kill him. John would know that, right? Because John knew that his life wasn't worth much at that point because Herod was already after him. So I, I think that they just, you know, they decided that they wanted to have a theology around atonement and this is how they made it, rather than really paying attention to why did these people just stop in their tracks and go after this guy. 
because obviously he had something to say to them that had never been said. There was a way about him that caused that moment. How about for you? And, you know, have you ever had one of those moments where you kind of sat there and went, wow. The light just come on. That's why we call this epiphany, right? The light goes on. Have you had that in your faith walk with God? Was there a moment where all of a sudden it just was like, wow, this just makes so much sense. You know, for me, because you keep hearing me say it, one of the things that I realized is that for people, they have trouble in their relationship with God because they don't think that God likes them. That I can't possibly be okay with God. That God wants me to be perfect. Hallelujah. And so when you hear the statement, you are wonderfully and uniquely made in the image of God, and that's enough, you know, your immediate response to that is, well, really? No. See, I, um, no, it, it isn't enough. But see, this is the story of Jesus. Because I know people tell this, say this all the time. You got a problem? Take it to Jesus. Jesus will fix it. Are you sick? Take it to Jesus. Jesus will fix it. How many of you believe that? Nobody. No, you do? Take it to Jesus. You really believe that? So you got a cold. You take it to Jesus. You think Jesus is going to fix that cold for you? No, I'm going to give you number. I guess not fix it. <clears throat> Thank you. Listen to the words. Because that's what atonement theology does. It makes you believe that somehow or another Jesus is this, well, God's the puppet master, and Jesus is his assistant. And all of a sudden, you don't have to take any responsibility for anything that you do. And that's exactly why those guys ended up staying with Jesus. I think that that's why so many people kind of stopped at their tracks and followed him. Because he was sitting there saying, look, folks, God is not a puppet master. You don't have to do these sacrifices. God loves you. God loves everybody. Now let me give you an example of how all that works. And so that, that's, you know, where his uh, uh, teaching came in. Um, how about this? There's a, uh, have you ever heard the book, uh, 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 what's the name of the book? Chicken Soup for the Soul. Have you ever read that? Google it. Read it. It's a great book. <coughs> and they had a student. One of the stories that there was, they had a student going to school that they told the story about. He was different than most of the other students. And one day, in the, he's in the 11th grade, which makes him a junior, yes. right? And he walks into the classroom because he's waiting for a friend. And the teacher came in and told him to go to the blackboard, and he said he couldn't do that. And the teacher said, why not? And he says, because I'm not one of your students. And the teacher said, well, that doesn't go matter. Go to, go to the board. Go to the blackboard anyway. And the student told me he couldn't do that when the teacher said, why? why can't you go to the board? And the student looked at him and says, because I'm retarded. To which the teacher said, don't ever say that again. Someone's opinion of you does not have to become your reality. Hello? That is why people stopped in their tracks and continued to follow Jesus. Because all the labels, all the things that they had been called, they were told that they were not worthy. And Jesus was sitting there saying, no, you are. Don't let anybody call you that again. 
Don't ever say that about yourself again. You know, it got me to thinking this morning, as, as I read that quote, it's like, damn, what are all the bad things that we call ourselves? And we let society define us that way. I mean, we call ourselves addicts. And we don't say that with a badge of courage, do we? We say that because it's something bad. It's something that society looks at us and makes a judgment about. We say, I'm in the closet, and it becomes a bad. Do not let people define you. You and God are just fine. It's when you begin having issues of being able to do what you need to do that it becomes a problem. That's when you got to come out of the closet. That's when we got to stop doing addictive stuff. Not because somebody has decided that this is your definition. Another writer says, all cheap and easy talk about God of sovereign power who's in control of the world in which there is so much poverty, suffering, and injustice is obscene. Amen? Think about that. Why would, why would we follow that God? Why would we follow a God who on the one hand we say created us, and oh by the way we're so, we're so crappy, I'm going to have my son killed on your behalf, and in the meantime there's all this crap that's going on around us. Why, why would we do that? All the self-confident talk about a powerful church that has the mandate and the ability to change society with this, whether it be conservative or lit uh, liberal political social agenda, or this or that evangelistic program is increasingly absurd in a church that can't solve its own problems, much less the problems of the world. So again, what is it about this Jesus? What is this wonderment? What is this moment that causes people to change? How about when you know that you're wonderfully created, uniquely in the image of God? That you're loved. And that's enough, that you are loved that Jesus' message was to reach out and say, see, you don't think you belong, but yes, you do. Come on in. See, you don't think you belong? Yes, you do. Come on in. <clears throat> oh, you don't think you could talk? Go ahead and talk to me. It became the message. It became the moment that people began to change is when they realized that, wait a minute, I've actually got a place in this world. And because I have a place in this world, I've got something that I can do. So what are we called to do? We've got it in Micah, right? That we're supposed to be fair. We're supposed to be merciful and have our relationship with God and be humble. And of course, we also have an opportunity tomorrow to get busy and do the work of God. And the work of God is what? To serve each other. Here now, we have Martin Luther King Day, right? And I, I found this quote, and this was just such a powerful quote. Uh, some of you might remember because they ran it on, on, on TV uh, in one of his sermons. But he actually said this two months before he died. And here was his moment. Every now and then, 
I think about my own death, and I think about my own funeral. And Dr. King tells his congregation, if any of you are around when I have to meet my day, I don't want a long funeral. And if any of you get somebody to deliver the eulogy, tell them not to talk too long. I'm going to stop there for a second. You know, he didn't get his wish on either one of those things. <clears throat> you know, I was in the eighth grade. That funeral was long, and they talked forever. Amen? But anyway, every now and then, I wonder what I want them to say. Tell them not to mention that I have a Nobel Peace Prize. That isn't important. Tell them not to mention that I have three or four hundred other awards. That's not important. I'd like someone to mention that the day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to give his life serving others. I'd like someone to say that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to love somebody. I want to be able to say that day I did try to feed the hungry. I want you to be able to say that day I did try in my life to clothe those who were naked. I want you to be able to say that I did try to visit those in prison. And I want you to say that I tried to love and serve humanity. And he concluded with these words. I won't have any money left behind. I won't have the fine and luxurious things of life to leave behind. But I just want to leave That's why they stopped what they were doing to follow Jesus. It can be our moment too.